We're going to turn uh, today to the Gospel of John chapter 20. I want to begin this morning just with a prayer. I think there are certain things that happen in culture that call us as the Christian church to pray, and there are lots of crazy things happening in Afghanistan right now. And so I want to pause together and pray for that country, and also pray as we open up the scriptures together. Gracious God, we pray for all the souls uh, this day in the country of Afghanistan. So much turmoil and suffering and terror. I pray for every man, woman, and child in that country that you would have grace, that you would have mercy. I pray you would give our leaders wisdom as they make decisions. We pray, Lord, have mercy. And now, God, as we open the scriptures, would you also open our hearts and our minds to speak to us? I believe you speak to us through your word. Amen. So I wonder, have you ever just had a moment where you just paused and said, is any of this even true? Because any of this real? There's a word, sometimes in church it comes across as a bad word, a naughty word. It's a D word. It's a five-letter word, not a four-letter word. It's the word doubt. You ever doubt? I mean, doubt's uncomfortable. Doubt is disruptive because it messes with the rhythms of our life. But we doubt all the time. Sometimes we doubt ourselves. Last Sunday, I wasn't here because we dropped our precious baby off at college. And it was harder than I thought, leaving her in that 12 by 12 room with another human being. Two people should not be in that small of a space, but there you have it. And when I drove away, there was just overcome with emotion. And I drove away and I just started doubting myself. Was I... A loving enough parent? Did I give her the tools she needed for life? Is she, did I give her enough to be successful? And just all these doubts. Sometimes we doubt our decisions. And other times we doubt God. Sometimes we doubt God's intention. Sometimes we doubt God's grace. Sometimes we doubt our own salvation. And sometimes we doubt his existence altogether. I would argue even the most mature of Christians have those moments. And what doubt does is it, it causes us to feel a bit unstable because we organize our lives around this system, this way of being in the world. And what if it's not true? Then what? Leaves us really unsure. And that's troubling in and of itself because I don't like to feel unsure. I like to feel certain. Like I crave certainty. I don't like surprises. I don't want people throwing me a surprise party. If you're going to give me a party, just tell me. I like to know what's coming. I like certainty and I despise being wrong. Because when I'm wrong, there's an embarrassment that goes with that. There's some insecurity. Today in the Gospel of John, we're going to meet a disciple. A disciple of Jesus who had a was I wrong kind of moment. His name is Thomas. So when we come to John chapter 20, Jesus has been crucified, died, 
he's risen. He's appeared to Mary Magdalene. Then he appears to 11 of the disciples, all of them but Thomas. So we come to John 20, beginning in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, that word put literally means thrust, unless I thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Thrust it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So from this story, Thomas gets a nickname, Doubting Thomas. We even use it today. We say things like, don't be such a doubting Thomas, which I think is unfortunate and really a little bit fair, unfair. Because like, we don't like refer to Peter as denying Peter. Like if we don't say, don't be such a denying Peter. And yet Thomas gets this really unfortunate nickname that chases him through history. Truth is, Thomas did a lot of good. Yet he's like that sports player that has an amazing career, but that last play of their career, they fumble the ball or miss a field goal, and that's all they're ever known for. I don't believe Thomas was any more doubting than the others. I mean, the others just had the opportunity to see Jesus. He had not. And previously, Thomas had risked his life for his faith, for Jesus. He was all in. But by the time we come to John chapter 20, Thomas is in... He's in a hard place, right? He's, he's in a process of grief because he's just witnessed Jesus crucified, like brutally murdered. And now I suppose Thomas is at the very least afraid, maybe on the run, because what if they come for him next? So his life is in turmoil, and he's probably trying to make sense of it all. Like, was I duped by Jesus? What happened? I don't think Thomas was like a pathetic doubter. I do think he is a model and a paradigm for all of us because we all are capable of great possibilities in Jesus' name and at the same time, we're all capable of great hesitations and doubts. Faith, the life of faith, is a progressive journey that's renewed and grows as we follow Christ. The other 11 disciples... They'd already moved on to the next stage of their faith because they'd seen Jesus. Thomas had not. He's still a, he's still a few steps back. So when Jesus appears to Thomas and says to him, I'm here, stop doubting and believe. I don't believe it was so much of an accusation as a challenge and a call. 
I love this passage, this story, because it is true to life. It is real. It is raw. It is earthy. It's human. We can all relate to it. So for the next few moments, as we spend some time in John chapter 20, I want to begin by asking a question, then I'm going to make a statement, and then I'm going to offer a challenge. So I begin first with with a question. And the question is, what is your unless? Back to verse 25. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. That was Thomas's unless. I need to stick my finger in his hands. So what's, what's your unless? I mean, for some of us, it looks something like this. I will believe unless something happens to my kids. And then I don't know if I can believe anymore because how could God let that happen? Or I will believe unless someone has a seemingly better philosophical argument than me. Man, I went to college. I read Nietzsche. He made a compelling argument. Or I will believe unless the Christian church fails me or hurts me somehow, which it will because we're here. Or or maybe it's, I won't believe unless I literally hear God's voice, or I won't believe unless you can give me a definite, historical, scientific evidence using the scientific method for the death and resurrection of Jesus, or I won't believe unless I see a miracle. Sometimes we cloak our unless in the form of a pious prayer that seems more like an ultimatum to God. God, if you let me get that job, then I will serve you the rest of my life. Or, God, if you let them live, if you heal them, then I will serve you. And hidden deep within those prayers is an unless. In those situations, we are faced with a challenge. And that challenge is how we think about God, how we think he should be, what he should be doing, many times reducing him to a creation of our own liking which is exactly what happened in the desert with the Israelites when they made a golden calf and God called that an idol. So now we pull back a few layers and what we discover in the scripture is that faith is trust more than it is certainty. When you see the word believe or the word faith in the scripture, you've got to listen to the tone. You've got to listen to the language because believe and faith, that's not just the acknowledgement of a set of ideas. It's, it's trusting a person. Like I, I go to the dentist every six months. I hope you go to the dentist every six months. Floss, it's good for your teeth. You need those. So I go to the dentist and I have this ongoing dental issue that just seems to never go away. It never gets better. It never gets worse. And I was there again, and my dentist looked at my mouth and said, well, it's not any better, it's not any worse. You can do this, this, or this. What do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. You're the dentist. If it was your mouth, what would you do? Like, I'm not trusting in the treatment. I'm trusting in you. Jesus never asked us to have certainty. He asked us to have faith. Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews defines faith. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You can have confidence, hope, and assurance without possessing certainty. 
Like I'm, I'm confident that my wife loves me. I am. She does all kinds of things that assures me that she loves me. But I can never be certain. Like I can't read her mind. I mean, maybe, maybe she just wanted me for my good looks and my money. I mean, what woman doesn't dream of marrying a pastor and for the first few years living in dire poverty in government housing? I mean, that's every woman's dream, right? Now that we've arrived, she drives a minivan. I just, I take care of her. (laughs) I'm confident that today on my way home, I won't get into a car accident. But I'm not certain. There's only one thing that I'm certain of. Someday I'm going to die. And that's about it. Believing in faith isn't about subscribing just to the right things. It's not the same as faith. I mean, lots of people believe in God. Lots of people believe the right things about God. It makes very little difference in the practice of life. It's a very intellectual position. There's a big difference, I think, between believing in God and believing God. Believing in God is an intellectual assent. Believing God is a relationship more than it is a realization. And when we doubt, that doesn't mean disbelief in God. Doubt is simply having the humility to say there are things about God and the divine that I don't understand, can't understand, or have misunderstood along the way. So here's my challenge to all of us this weekend. Can we shift our unless to anyway? So back to John chapter 20, verse 30. John is explaining to his readers why he wrote the book of John. This is what he writes. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Things are not always what I thought or expect, but I trust God anyway. These things are written that you may believe or have faith, have trust that Jesus is the Messiah, and that by trusting you may have life in his name. So how do I shift my unless to anyway? Well, I think it begins by, in humility, acknowledging that every once in a while we have doubts. It's natural to being a human, and I think God can handle it. One of my favorite stories in all the Gospels, I reference it all the time, is Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, a father brings his sick son to Jesus' disciples. The scripture says he has a spirit and it causes him to have convulsions and seizures. And so this man brings his son to Jesus' disciples so he can be healed and the disciples can't do anything about it. So finally, they bring this man to Jesus and when the spirit saw Jesus, verse 20 of Mark 9, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell on the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes, the one who trusts. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. 
I do trust. Help me overcome my unbelief or my lack of trust. I love, I love that story. I love that statement. I do believe, except when I don't. I do trust, except when I, I'm untrusting. Like, this is where I am right now. I believe, and sometimes it's hard because I'm worn out because I've been praying for my kid for years and years and years, and nothing seems to change. Now, this guy isn't, like, totally rejecting his faith or God. It's just this, this father comes to Jesus with a very exhausted request. But if you can do, Jesus, if you can do anything, have pity on us. Because every once in a while, our doubt leaks out. Now, I don't know the backstory. None of us do. It's not recorded in the scripture, but I wonder how much suffering this man endured as year after year he continually prayed for his child that something would happen, that God would heal him, that God would touch him. I don't know, maybe every time a new religious leader came into town, the man brought his son and said, would you please please pray for my son? And disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And then he hears the rumors of this man named Jesus who has been working miracles. He's heard the whispers. And one day, Jesus comes to town and Maybe he's hesitant to get his hopes up one more time. But he's desperate. So he comes to Jesus with a really iffy prayer. Lord, if you can do anything. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Because I believe and I doubt. I hope and I fear. I pray and I waver. I ask and I worry. I believe. Help my unbelief. Like, I get that prayer. The guy's not an atheist. He's not totally rejecting God. He's just, he's got an unless. So if I'm going to turn my unless to an anyway. And humility, admit my doubts. And secondly, I find a trusted place to wrestle with hard stuff, hard things. I'm, I'm ashamed to say that I, I believe that historically the Christian church has not been one of the safest places to wrestle with doubts and fears. I mean, no one wants to be seen as a doubter. No one wants to be judged as a person lacking faith. And yet as a church, we're a place with real people, real questions, and real problems. All the way back in, I think, week two or three of this series, we were in John chapter three. We were introduced to a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was the most important religious leader, leader in the days of Jesus. So we read in John chapter three, verse one, that a Pharisee named Nicodemus uh, came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, I, truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born again when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born, right? I mean, mom said amen. I mean. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, and spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So as everyone who has been born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked? That's a really dowdy kind of question. Here is the most important religious leader in the day of Jesus, and he's like, how, how can this be? I don't know if I can fully believe that. And yet Jesus simply engages him in a life-giving conversation. Just 
interacts with them. I mean, sometimes we're on the other side of it and we're so certain of our own certainty that we can be so judgmental of other people's hard questions and doubts. And sometimes we give really cheap answers to some pretty painful ifs. If we want to meet people in doubts, if we want to wrestle with doubts ourselves, we got to have a place. We need to become a place where it's okay to ask hard questions. Third, if we want to move our own less to anyway, create space to think, to learn, and discern, because God is always speaking, God is always revealing. Scriptures say the heavens declare the glory of God. When was the when was the last time that we like committed to regular thinking? It's not an accusation, it's a question. Because right now, we're living in a day where we don't trust anybody. Trust is in short supply these days. Anybody can publish an article. Anyone can do anything. And so we're like, who do I really believe anymore? Who do I really trust? When do I spend time to really discern, understand, and think about what it is I believe and what it is that I trust in. Because what I find sometimes is that when I commit to that, I start to believe in things that actually aren't in the scripture. And I start making up my own stuff and calling it truth. See, when I spend time thinking and learning and discerning, I can sit in the middle of it all and say, God, meet me in my doubts. Would you reveal yourself to me in a profound way and notice what he's doing? Finally, if I want to change my unless to an anyway, I've got to get real comfortable with mystery and make a little bit of room for wonder. Luke chapter 18, people are bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. The disciples see this and they rebuked him. But Jesus called the children to him and said, little children, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. You ever watched a child interact with the world? I mean, most children are pretty trusting and they're awed by everything. So I wanted to get an image in my head of what Jesus is talking about. And I found this, so just watch this real quick. Watch this video. what Jesus is talking about. That kid is trusting. He is not worried about the temperature of the water. That kid is not concerned with where the water came from or even what the water is. He's just awed by whatever's happening right in front of him. What if we appreciated what is instead of always trying to figure it all out? We can be so enamored with our own Christian intelligent answers that we lose the sense of wonder and mystery because we're always trying to figure it all out. 
Now, I'm not against the intellect. I love to learn. I love to study. But when was the last time I just stepped outside and looked at the world and said, wow, God created all that. Is the gospel good news or is it just okay news? Because sometimes I act like it's just okay news. But if it's good news, wow. I mean, if the gospel is good news and what Jesus actually did on the cross is true, that he took me, this filthy rag of a human being, and brushed me off and said, love you, my son, my grace is sufficient for you. Wow. Someone loves me that much that he would die for me? Wow. Wow. Is my faith life-enhancing or is my faith transforming? Because if I want to be, like, enhanced, I'll go to a self-help seminar. I don't want to be enhanced. I want to be transformed. And part of my transformation is embracing the mystery and the wonder of the world because I'm just going to tell you, you're never going to figure God out completely doesn't work that way. Because if God can be completely figured out, is he really God? We love facts, though. I'm going to give you a fact. Here's a fact. The world is round. That's a fact. But wonder tells us the world is also a miracle. I was sitting at my desk yesterday and... I was kind of um, half working on some stuff, and then I was also half watching the Bills beat the Packers. And I know it's only preseason. The losing team always says that. And I was, I was looking at my hand. Just looking at my hand. Weird. No, it wasn't some kind of weird trip. I was just looking at my hand. And I started thinking, my brain sends a signal to my muscles to move my fingers and I have five fingers not two or one or none and I can grab stuff and it just wow I mean that's an incredible design so maybe we doubt once in a while you're not alone but what Jesus wants what Jesus desires is our trust He wants us to take our unless, because we can have an unless really quick. Take our unless to it anyway. Lord, it doesn't always make sense to me, but I trust you anyway. And so this morning, God, we say together, we, we trust you anyway. It's real easy to doubt. I have doubts. I wrestle with doubts. My prayer is often the prayer of the man in our story. Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. But even in the midst of those moments, Lord, take my unless and make it in any way. As I look at the wonder of this world, as I step outside and see the glory of creation declaring the works of God, that you would help me to trust you to trust you with such a deep, deep trust. Or turn our unless into it anyway. Amen.